Welcome to What the Health, a podcast where we explore the key health issues that are often dismissed. I'm James Jensen, a functional medical practitioner and owner of Hello Health, a holistic clinic focused on treating the root cause of issues rather than the symptoms by connecting the dots and giving you practical and evidence-based solutions. And I'm Julie Johnston, one of James's clients, and I also happen to be his PR consultant, who, let's be honest, basically strong-armed him into doing this podcast. If you've been going around in circles, feeling dismissed, and not getting the results you deserve, then you're in the right place. Because as you always say, James, just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal. Exactly. So let's drill down to what's really going on. Alrighty, James. Now, we know that sleep deprivation can be used as a form of torture, which I think says everything about just how important sleep is and without good sleep, we just do not function well, do we? No. Um, you're right. It Again, I would probably see multiple people a week for, for sleep issues. Um, it can be, you know, varied from people tr- like having trouble getting to sleep or it can be staying asleep, which is a big issue. I would probably say more often than not, it's people having trouble staying asleep, which again is like a form of torture too, because you're exhausted and you're like, oh, look, I can just, if I just sleep, I'll like, my day will be infinitely better, which again creates like its own little anxiety and stresses, which then gets in the way of quality of sleep as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it must just cause a feeling of dread coming towards bedtime of knowing that they're probably in for another rough night. So what are, you know, we know people are coming to you exhausted at their wits end and just begging for answers. What are some of the things that are going on that are causing those problems with sleep? Yeah, so what I like to do when sort of someone presents me with a sleep problem is firstly, I like to differentiate, you know, is it trouble getting to sleep or is it trouble staying asleep? Some people might be really unlucky and have both. Um, so I guess the getting to sleep is really about switching the brain off and having the usual like neurochemistry that helps sleep initiation. So that's things like um, stress and anxiety will often prevent people from getting to sleep. So that's really important to, to sort of differentiate. And then if it's things like sleep maintenance, that can be to do with things like melatonin um, deficiency, could be to do with sleep temperature, Again, the first sort of stage of sleep is really that deep sleep. So people are often getting that deep sleep, but then they're, when they sort of move between the REM or REM sleep and the light sleep, which you cycle through multiple times a night, they're having disturbances with that. And technically, um, insomnia related to sleep maintenance is if, you, if it takes you longer than 20 minutes to get back to sleep. So, yeah, it's, um, it's really about sort of... Going through, again, things that we would do is, you know, ask a lot of questions, you know, bedtime routines, those types of things, correcting nutrient deficiencies. You know, for example, um, GABA is one of the main neuroinhibitory neurotransmitters. So as we're getting to sleep, we need adequate levels of GABA. So if we're like stressed or anxious, we may not have enough GABA to oppose that. So GABA can be affected by things like magnesium or B6. So again, we can do blood tests for those types of things. Um, quite often, we'll um, you can even use things like GABA as a supplement to help sleep initiation. Um, again, if it's trouble getting to sleep, sometimes, I, a bit like we spoke about, there's sleep anxiety. 
So people, you know, a classic example of that is someone might be watching TV, they'll fall asleep in the chair, mm. then they'll wake up and they'll, oh, right, time to go to bed. And then they'll lie awake even though they've already fallen asleep. And that's really because they've been distracted by watching TV and then it's the association of poor sleep that gets them anxious, which then prohibits them from falling asleep. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the good bedtime routines that you are recommending to patients? Yeah, so light is um, a, a big a big thing. So light really opposes the melatonin production. So getting your house as dark as you know possible is, is a really good strategy. Again, things like um, watching TV with lights on, you know, watching the TV itself, you know, looking at your phone, that's all putting light through your eyes, mm. which opposes melatonin production. So that's a really common one, which, again, a, a lot of people do understand. Um, but firstly, like getting that bedtime, bedtime routine right. Temperature is also really, really important as well. So apparently, which seems nearly impossible in North Queensland, but... Getting um, apparently the optimal sleep temperature is 16 degrees. Wow. Yes. We're always told to set the aircon for 25 degrees. Yeah, that's right. So that's coming down to like an energy efficiency point of view, but it's ignoring our, um, our sleep chemistry. Yeah. And that's why, you know, women that have hot flushes and things like that, obviously, you know, they're having a lot of trouble with sleep because if their body is hot, they're going to wake up. Um, but yeah, sleep temperature is really, really important. There are cool devices now which are quite expensive, like in the thousands of dollars, but they will actually, um, they're electronic, but they will cool. It's like a, a mat that you put on the bed itself, which cools the mattress down itself. So it gets you in the optimal sleep temperature and it will go up or down depending on like what the feedback is from the sensors. Wow, how interesting. And so once you've got someone in clinic and you said you can do some testing and sort of see where some of those nutritional deficiencies um, may be, what are some of the other things that you're seeing when you'd get in and do that testing? Yeah, so it's um, often simple things like, you know, electrolyte imbalance. So, you know, we talked about things like magnesium um, earlier. Now, we can use things like magnesium as a, as a really nice strategy because, Magnesium is, is really one of those nutrients that's like good for everything. You know, when someone says, you know, what's, you know, is magnesium good for cramping? Yes. Is it good for sleep? Yes. Is it good for energy? Yes. But where we need magnesium for sleep is really in the brain. So you can use specialized forms of magnesium like magnesium threonate or magnesium bisglycinate. And there's special types of magnesium that have, uh, essentially they're attached to a glycine molecule. And that makes them more able to cross the blood-brain barrier. So they're actually able to get to the brain and actually calm the brain down, help initiate GABA like we spoke about. Mm. Um, that also helps serotonin and melatonin production, which is really all about sleep maintenance. So we'll often be um, using special types of magnesium to help sleep. Um, sometimes we need to use things like herbs. So herbs are really, really useful for switching the brain off. So if you're like a, a really busy brain or even people that aren't stressed, if they're just like a, an avid thinker or they're always running through their day, things like that, um, the herbs are a really nice way to help switch that off and make it a bit more easy to, to get to sleep and stay asleep. Yeah. And James, you actually have a Bachelor of Pharmacy and worked as a pharmacist for many years. So you are quite accustomed to some of the, you know, products on the market there for helping sleep. 
in your opinion, what are some of the, um, I guess, pros and cons of, you know, those kind of medications compared to some of the natural medicines that you're talking about? Yeah, so short term, they can be really useful. So if there's been like a really stressful event, say like a death in the family or a you know, marriage breakdown or something like that that's created a lot of stress. Sometimes a hit over the head from a pharmaceutical is is good. Mm. Um, we know that that um, definitely does work and it's good for, I guess, acute or short-term use. One of the problems is that people can become dependent and reliant on it. So anyone that's really needing to use those things, you know, sort of beyond a month, that's where we start to, I guess, move into that area of chemical dependency. Not necessarily addiction, but the brain is like, hey, I get this helping hand from temazepam or, you know, uh, Valium or something like that, which helps, I guess, hit them over the head to initiate sleep. But then the body's, you know, when they stop those medications, the body's, you know, not um, making those hormones for them. So And so are they then feeling a bit groggy and blah during the day then as a result? Yeah, so with the um, usual preparations for sleep, like the benzodiazepines, they've got different acting um, or half-life. So... Something like a temazepam, which generally should only act for sort of three, four, up to six hours. So generally people won't wake up too groggy, but any of the longer acting ones, often they'll wake up groggy and then that creates a sort of, um, well, most people sleep to wake up feeling refreshed. Mm. So getting to sleep is great, but if you're waking up feeling groggy and horrible, it's often not the best. So using natural medicine is going to have a much better long-term result. Yeah, so I talked about GABA. Um, so GABA is one of those great nutrients that you can use, which is, I guess, one of the sort of similar uh, natural equivalents um, to a benzodiazepine. So it has that half-life of about six hours. So again, people will get off to sleep nicely, does promote sleep maintenance, but they won't wake up groggy. And we don't have the same issues that we have with like dependency or chemical addiction. So it's more about facilitating the proper sleep chemistry rather than like forcing it. Yeah. And look, we know sleep is big business and so there are plenty of other companies um, that are doing very nicely packaged and marketed products, um, you know, promoting a good night's sleep that are readily available on supermarket shelves and things like that. What's the difference, I guess, of buying natural medicine from a health practitioner such as yourself compared to picking it up off the shelf at the supermarket because it's got some, you know, great branding promoting a great night's sleep? Yeah, so I think one of the big things is quality. So quality can come down to actual, you know, dosing of the ingredients. So some some ingredients might be underdosed or it depends on where the ingredients actually sourced from. So I guess just like in the in the uh, you know, the normal context of say like you were to grow a fruit and vegetable in your garden, it's going to have a different nutritional content, slightly different to what I grow in my garden. So some of these places are sourcing these herbs, which might be really useful, but they might be poorer quality in terms of like where they've grown or where they're sourced from. So practitioner brands are generally the best of the best. So you're going to get not only like a quality product, which is free from a lot of the dodgy excipients that are there, and excipients are really the things that um, are added to a product to make it like either taste better or more stable. Um, so the practitioner brands generally have low low or no toxic excipients. Um, they've got better quality source ingredients and dosed appropriately as well. Yeah, and then also, as, you know, speaking of dosage, having that professional advice from a health practitioner um, can make a difference with then taking the correct dosage. 
Yeah, so often when by the time I've seen people, they've had, you know, sort of three or four goes at, you know, taking something, which, again, it's really about differentiating on what the problem is and then depending on what the problem is, we can we can be more precise in what we would prescribe. Yeah. And, you know, look, I know we were just chatting um, before we started the podcast and you were saying that, you know, your calendar for this last week, you know, you've seen multiple people just in this last week for sleep issues alone. Um, So we know there are lots of people out there struggling with this. What's your key kind of parting message that you want to let people know if they're having difficulty with sleep? Yeah, well, firstly, I think, um, uh, I think it, Firstly, acknowledge that it's really, really important to, to get <laughs> quality sleep. Um, one of the things that people would um, need to do is they would need to go and see someone like myself or have a chat to, you know, any sort of health professional because if it is related to like stress or anxiety, sometimes things like counselling can be really, really effective. Um, where we come from is obviously we're not psychologists or counsellors and things like that, but we're really about helping to get the sleep back to well assist them to get to sleep properly and again promote that um, sleep maintenance which is really really important and we know that if people are having a poor quality sleep it affects every aspect of their life their you know interpersonal relationships with family work colleagues you know their work productivity Um, so it is certainly um, a very important health issue for people to address yeah absolutely Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for that excellent advice on sleep, James. So let's dive into this week's uh, frequently asked questions. Um, So these are some of the ones we get quite often on social media and we've picked out a few. So our first one today, a couple of years ago, my stomach started becoming really sensitive. I've tried changing my diet, but I still go to the bathroom all the time. Why is my bowel so irritable? Yeah. So again, this is something that I would see... um, several times a week if not every single day Um, so one of the things that uh, again we've spoken about in previous episodes but one of the common problems for things like IBS or um, sensitivity to different foods it comes down to a couple of things in my opinion so we've got the gut lining itself so if the gut lining becomes more permeable so like a leaky gut type scenario that's where the immune system then therefore becomes a bit more reactive to what it's exposed to so i say to people it's like shoot first ask questions later so if there's a food that's coming in that can irritate or um, aggravate the immune system and the immune system's response is to kick it straight out so that's where you'll get like loose bowels sometimes it can be the fact that the food isn't necessarily aggravating the immune system but the food's feeding the bacteria and then the bacteria is creating that immune response so often what we'll do is We'll look at the foods that they're eating and we might work out that, you know, there's a common theme. So it might be anything with wheat in it or, you know, say like gluten um, might be dairy. So we go, well, it's probably those foods that are irritating the gut lining and then creating that immune response. Or people might be eating really, really well. So they've like, I guess like in this example where they've really cleaned their diet up and that's where I'm starting to consider, you know, the, the potential things like bacterial overgrowth where it's, the food, which is really nice and healthy and full of fiber, but it's feeding the bacteria and then that's creating the immune response. So again, we do things like heal and seal the gut lining. Um, for example, there's bacteria that um, produce uh, like uh, gases that make you go to the toilet more often and there's bacteria that produce constipating gases. So if we're weeding those bacteria out, we're getting the right microbiome balance and then if we're healing and sealing the gut lining, we're preventing the immune system from being overactive. 
I'm going to throw my own question in here because it's come up as you're answering that. I've noticed that as some people are ageing, um, they are becoming more sensitive. So do these sensitivities sometimes change throughout our life? Yeah, so as we age, we have a, like a natural drop in some of our hormones. So things like testosterone, progesterone and estrogen, and they're actually protective against or help suppress some of that immune activity. So again, if it's... Um, you know, it's really common to see people develop food allergies, say, during menopause because the protective actions of progesterone and estrogen are no longer there. So what you'll find is people might get more itchy skin or they might have skin flare-ups or they might have, I guess, food sensitivities that they didn't have earlier. And it's just because of the lack of those hormones that, that were there. So like I said, as we age, we lose those hormones and then the immune system can often act inappropriately. Wow, it's fascinating. Um, okay, the next question we've got. I'm a middle-aged man who has always been very active, but in the last few years I've found my sugar cravings have become out of control. What can I do to fix this? It's really starting to impact my physical and mental health. Yeah, again, another common question I get asked all the time. So often it can be things like uh, certain bacterial overgrowth in the gut, again, to talk about the gut, but some of those different bacterial species will actually communicate to the brain and say, hey, I love sugar. Can you please um, feed me sugar? So um, I talked about bacteria, but one of the more common organisms that can do that is like yeast or candida. So their favorite food is sugar. So if someone potentially has a like a yeast or a candida overgrowth in their gut, those bugs will be asking them to eat more sugar. Again, can be things like stress. If there's lots of stress that, that's in their life, um, the higher levels of cortisol, that can drive sugar cravings. So not too many people, you know, they sort of go, oh, man, I'm so stressed, I just feel like a big bowl of salad. Um, mm. So often it's the stress hormones. Again, we spoke about sleep earlier, so poor sleep. There's definitely a correlation between poor sleep and how it's affecting sugar cravings. Again, same thing, no one goes, oh, I'm so tired, I just can't wait to eat a big bowl of vegetables. Um, so again, it can be quite a few factors, uh, you know, in the context of middle age, perhaps it's a a drop in things like testosterone, which again will interrupt hormone signaling, which again might lead to sugar cravings. So there's an, a number of things that can be that can be there, but often what in that context we would talk to someone, find out what is probably the main driver, so whether it be sleep or stress or a dodgy gut, for example, fix that, then often those sugar cravings go. And, you know, as he's mentioned there, like it does have a real play uh, and flow-on effect with mental health be- and even must be so frustrating knowing that you're trying to eat well but then you just find that you just can't help but gorging on these sugary foods and so as you're saying, it's actually being driven by the gut which is really helping, uh, which is not helping you have that self-control then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, incredibly frustrating if you know what you need to be doing but just can't help yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, such a flow-on effect. And our last question for today. I've had multiple surgeries and the wounds aren't healing properly and are getting infections. What's happening? Yeah, so um, this is um, a pretty common one actually. Now, often there's the skin barrier and the skin integrity. So it's got its own immune system. So if we're low in things like zinc, for example, we're more likely to get opportunistic infections. Um, so things, you know, like we've always got bacteria on our skin. So we all have bacteria at all, at all times. So we might have an open wound, but if this, like the immunity of the skin itself, if that's compromised through things like zinc deficiency, um, people get lots of little opportunistic infections, certainly 
following like a surgery. So most of the time here, we're looking at zinc and because zinc's also incredibly important for promoting wound healing. So if someone's getting lots of opportunistic infections and those wounds are slow to heal, straight away I'm starting to think about zinc deficiency. And you know, one of the simple things we can do is we can look at our nails. If there's any little white spots or marks on the nails, that's usually a dead giveaway that the zinc is low in the body. So again, topping zinc up is a really nice way to prevent any of those infections and, and certainly promote wound healing. Wow, and that's really interesting because I would I would assume that most people, if they have a wound that's not healing, you know, they keep looking for a cream or something from the chemist that they can apply topically um, without necessarily thinking that it's actually stemming from inside and, and fixing some of those nutritional imbalances. Yeah, it's um, really important and skin's often, like it's what we see, but it's usually a reflection of our internal environment. So yeah, incredibly important to treat it from the inside out. It all comes back to you treating the root cause and not the symptoms, doesn't it, James? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, it's been great chatting with you once again this episode, James. Okay, thanks, Julie. We hope you enjoyed this episode on What the Health. If you want to keep hearing more, follow us on the Apple Podcast app, where you'll be notified every week when we drop a new episode. If you love the show and want to support us, feel free to share the podcast or go leave us a review. Yes. Help make Julie's life easier when she's trying to market this podcast. And of course, it would be remiss of me not to mention that you can go book a consultation in person or online with James to discuss all your health concerns. Head on over to www.hellohealth.au. Plus, you'll get free postage on any products you purchase. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.